Welcome homeowners, home buyers, landlords, and tenants alike. People who just want to be better at living in a home. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Join Madison Radio's Adam Elliott, real estate broker and landlord Ben Anton, as they break down the modern day barriers of home ownership. You'll laugh, you'll cry. And if you're not careful, you'll learn. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curl up? Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison musician Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears on the Facebook at In the 608. Well, hi there. I'm Adam Elliott, former Madison radio personality. On the phone is Adam Elliott, and everything is scary and frightening. I'm Ben Anton, broker associate at the Lauer Realty Group. <laughs> Let's hope it's not that scary, Ben, but <laughs> we'll, we'll work through that as best we can. <laughs> Each episode, we frighten ourselves with technology, and we bring in a guest to talk real estate. <laughs> yeah, in our podcast, we'll do things like also provide you uh, with the top of the art tip with some advice about your home or your place that you rent. We're going to recap high and low sales in Dane County, aside the market update with Asher Messino. And the trick we really try to do here is we surround ourselves with people who are smarter than we are. Each month, one of those smarter than us people that we have on is my business partner and friend, Phil Plord, the president of Blimling & Associates, a division of Dairy.com. He'll come in with his look beyond the 608. And since we are in the 608, we feature local music and music and artists from folks right here in the 608. This month on the program, we're going to have Lindsay Haggins, a developer with Simply Homes Realty. She'll be joined by uh, Real Estate in the 608 former contributor Alejandra Torres with the Lauer Realty Group. They're going to talk to us about Jana Village, Madison's newest subdivision. First, Ben, let's talk about what's been going on from the headlines and things you want to share. Adam moved to California, and now he has to call us on the phone. (laughs) It's true, Uh, but I wouldn't say it was scary. I am calling from a different time zone, but we're still keeping it uh, right here in the 608. We're going to start off and finish our time with Adam, and then kind of like a sandwich, it'll be just me and Asher. Uh, and our guest there in the middle, Ben, that's me, and our in, and the Real Estate in the 608 Instagram consultant are buying a house. Together? Uh, uh, we, tell me more. <laughs> it's a little project house, and we are buying it together, and it's in the Shanks Corners neighborhood. And uh, I think the long-term vision of this house may be one that would allow her parents, longtime Shanks Corners residents, to age in place. So if if nothing else, it will test the metal of our relationship and hopefully provide some lessons and or content for her to share on the gram. Good for you and good for them. So I made a transition. I moved to the West Coast and that has brought with it a, a lot of different things. I'm kind of seeing life from the perspective of like the the moving side and the transition where you move from one place to another. We talk about transitions and people buying places and people going into this place and that, but there's so much behind the scenes that happens and that's what I've been living in. And it's brought me a new level of uh, sympathy for people in that space because it's not always easy to make a change. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope it's going well both for you and your Lindsay. And that, and that the, the dust will soon settle. 
Indeed, yes. You know, one of the things is that uh, I'm still renting my home in Madison. And, you know, three weeks into it, something broke and had to be fixed right away, which was a little scary. Maybe that's the scary component. As it works out, I have, you know, very good connections and very good friends that have helped me out to make sure things have stayed on course. It's all about when you know a guy, or more specifically, when that guy knows a guy named Chris Mickelson, who can That's fix, very true. <laughs> who can swap out a disposal really quickly. Also on the headlines updates, I thought you might be interested to know this. When I sold the home at 709 Wheeler to former guest Brandon Cook, that was a home yes. that, that was a project home that both you and said Chris Mickelson uh, had had offered had bid on. Uh, but he paid more and, and then won. Um, he never brought me my lockbox back. So when no. I drove past the house the other day, <laughs> so you and I go back to get it, and I saw that lockbox on the front door, I was like, "That's an open invitation to go see how he's doing." And how how did it go? Sure enough, it's the same combination as it was when I sold the house. Um, so uh, Instagram consultant and I got a tour and saw that it was it was really going to be interesting. And when when we do when it does sell, I imagine it's not too far from marketing. Um, I would bet you that it's because you and I talked about that number maybe being a mid three when it was done. Yeah. I think he's done enough to that house and done it nice enough that, that it might start with a four. I think oh, that's going to okay. be a four. It's, it's not huge, but I, as the way things have been going in, the, in Madison and on that north side and right across from the conservancy there, I think that house is going to start with a four. All right. So those are the things that we wanted to share. Let's talk about some reviews. What are people saying about us, Ben? They're saying absolutely nothing unless I'm standing in front of them <laughs> like I've run into them on the street. Okay. So maybe right. what I need to do instead of offering people – um, real estate in the 608 swag to leave a review, I should just start carrying it in a bag. And then when I run into them on the street and they say something kind, I'll be like, hey, here's a mug. Yeah, it's uh, it's low tech, but you know, what works, works, right? <laughs> so if you like the podcast, leave a review just for fun. Uh, once again, in, in today with us will be Lindsay Haggins with Simply Homes Realty, a developer and real estate agent, Alejandra Torres with Lau Realty Group. Uh, they are both involved in the development and then sale and marketing of Jana Village uh, out at Highway TT and Felon Road. That's Madison's, Madison's newest subdivision. They're going to talk about the trials and tribulations of the developer and then some of their longer term, bigger picture goals and what they what they how they how they see their work here affecting things elsewhere. Thank you, Adam. It's great to hear your voice and, and all the way from, from California. Uh, in the studio today as well is Asher Messino, Agent Lauer Realty Group. And uh, here they are with this month's top of the hour tip. Hello, Liz Lauer here, owner and broker at Lauer Realty Group a small but mighty real estate firm in the Madison market. Please tune in and enjoy the conversation and information shared from this podcast as it offers insight into the Madison real estate market and handy tips for homeowners from remodeling, interest rates, market conditions to the do's and don't evers. So sit back and enjoy the banter and have a good time. Hey, Ben. Anytime you are on the cusp of a market change, which happens seasonally here in South Central Wisconsin, buyers and sellers need to come up with ways to be strategic, to 
basically benefit themselves through this change. We t- we've talked about the highest prices every year are paid in June and early July. Those offers were likely written... One to two months ago. So what happens next when historically we are on the cusp of a market change? If you are a buyer and you're coming up against this change, first of all, why is this happening? It's becoming summer. People want to take their family vacations. They want to get all of this fun stuff in before school inevitably starts again, uh, late August, early September. Leases. A lot of people with leases gave exactly. up, threw in the towel. Yeah, if they needed to, if all these first-time home buyers were on the hunt and didn't get an accepted offer by now, they have to re-sign that August lease, and then they completely lose steam. Yeah. When really what they should be doing is re-signing that lease and going full strength ahead to try and get that accepted offer and then plan to sublet their place because they will spend less money this summer than if they re-sign their lease and then wait until January again. Not only that, but let's imagine you re-sign your lease... And it costs you a few months' rent. Let's say it takes three months even to find Which a Which is sub-letter. probably unheard of, but yeah, let's say. Let's imagine you're into it three months. What is that? $4,000? Potentially. Would you rather spend $4,000 in rent or fifteen dollars <laughs> to $20,000 when you're competing for a house again next spring? Even more potentially. I mean, if you have to compete against other people and pay 15% above a list price, plus you have to offer... Let's just throw some random numbers out there. Twenty to forty thousand dollars towards a potential appraisal allowance, maybe ten to twenty thousand dollars towards potential inspection defects. Yeah, so it could I think, be a lot I think more I'm money. He- I think I'm hearing the top of the hour tip is uh, don't get out of the pool right now. The water is finally maybe just fine. Thank you, Asher. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Our guest this month, Lindsay Haggins with Simply Homes Realtor, a developer, not the dirty developer that you always talk about, real estate agent with Simply Homes Realty, as well as Alejandra Torres, agent with the Lauer Realty Group. Uh, Alejandra, I, I, I believe I saw uh, come in with a, with a bottle of wine. It's the first time. I first believe time she did co- that. Cocktails were served <laughs> during the interview. So for those of you at home, things might get a little crazy. <laughs> Lindsay Haggins is a Sun Prairie native. And when I say not the typical or vilified developer, uh, she, along with her husband, have an apartment and neighborhood development projects underway here in Madison, as well as apartment and hospital projects in Ghana, West Africa. So I'm interested to learn a little bit more about that. Um, Alejandra Torres, back for her second appearance on the podcast, is an agent with the Lauer Realty Group. Together, she and Lindsay marketed and sold all of the lots in Madison's newest neighborhood, Jana Village, inside several months. We know a little bit about them both, but we don't know if they are fun. Asher, how do we know if they're fun? I know for a fact they're fun. <laughs> we hang out. <laughs> I, I, I highlighted what you were supposed to say. How do we know if they're fun? We're about to find out if they're fun or not. How do we find out if they're fun or not? Well, Ben, we play a game, a Madison history and environs trivia game we like to call... The way it used to be. There used to be. There used to be. There used to be. Used to be nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see. Car in every driveway, swinging every tree. People 
can't stop talking about the way things used to be. The easiest way it used to be question for Lindsay might be what kind of crop or farm was on Felon Road before Jana Village was a thing? Corn. <laughs> Kern. Corn. Corn. It's got the juice. They usually Let's, rotate, though. It's every year, it's a different. <laughs> like alfalfa, then yeah. corn. Let's get in the Wayback Machine and think about themed names of similar developments of the past. I'm going to name. Neighborhood name themes. They're all in Madison. They're all on either the north or the east side. You tell me if it's on the north or the east side. Neighborhood number one includes these four street names. Agate, Micah, Topaz, and Onyx. It's on the east side, but it's over by uh, Cottage Grove Road. I'm, east side. Mm-hmm. All right, good work. East side, Topaz. just off of Acewood between yes. Milwaukee and yep. Cottage Grove Road. All right. Nice. One of the other themes, that was the rocks theme. U.S. geography is another theme of a neighborhood street names. Delaware, Tennessee Trail, Texas Trail. Northside. Lindsay says Northside. Correct. That's two out of two out of four. Correct. All right, here. They're so fun so far. I I I heard I heard Lindsay, you wanted to name the streets after your kids. Was there talk of that? I wanted to name it one at least after my mom. Okay. Oh, she just that's passed sweet. away. So, oh, yeah, I'm I, so I sorry. Them, but they wouldn't because her last name is Shanks. So they were like, you can get shanked in jail. So they were like, no. What about the Shank Absolutely. neighborhood? Yes, that, I brought that up too. But Madison now has a new rule that you're not allowed to name any streets after any names. So you really? Cannot, you cannot do a physical name anymore. Bird names is our oh, final names. one. Bobolink, <laughs> Goldfinch, and Meadowlark. These got to be mm-hmm. east. Side for sure. They sound like a newer one, like a Viridian one. Meadowlark is over by you. No? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's east side. It's, east, yeah. it's, it's not too far from Acewood. It's like between, Acewood, yeah. Between oh, Mil- oh, Milwaukee yeah. and Cottage Grove. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Bobolink is funny. Yeah. All right. So you got so that was the four, four bell ring, but there's one, four, yeah. one question right. So we got two more to go. Uh, and the Sun Prairie native, Lindsay... Are you ready here? In what year was a gas line struck during infrastructure and telecommunications construction in downtown Sun Prairie, resulting in the death of a tavern owner slash firefighter? 2019. 2018. It's been five years. It'll be five years this July. So it yeah. is a little bit breath. I actually had a cell phone store right across the street when that happened, too. We owned a Boost Mobile right across the street. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you do a lot of stuff. It, yeah, that's my husband's stuff, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was hard. <laughs> All right, here's a, here's what we got. We got uh, one one out of two so far. Here we go. A little more Sun Prairie history. In 1837, pres- then President Martin Van Buren commissioned a party of 45 men, including Augustus A. Byrd, to to build a capital for the territory of Wisconsin in Madison. The group left Milwaukee on May 26, 1837, and traveled for days in the rain. On June 9th, the group emerged at the edge of the prairie, and with the sun shining for the first time in days, carved the words Sun Prairie into a tree. Charles Byrd returned to the area several years later and became a first-time settler. Was Sun Prairie a town... Before or after our fair Wisconsin became a state? Before. That is correct. 1846. 
Sun Prairie becomes a town two years before the state it is in is official. Wow. Would have just been a territory. It's interesting. We're going to take a little break uh, for the market update and the highs and low sales of the last 30 days. Then we'll be back with Lindsay Hagen and Alejandra with more on Jana Village. Going to the bar with the money from my jar. Walking there because I'll have a problem with the car. Gonna take a sip, gonna take a little trip. Gonna purchase steam whiskey, gonna leave a big tip. Going to the bar. When I meet with buyers for the first time, I go through a little presentation, and at the end it says, unpack all your boxes when you move in, and then borrow a ladder. So that borrow a ladder thing is like kind of a metaphor. What it means is that I enjoy not only helping people buy their houses, but helping them live in their houses and learn how to be better at living in the house. The same better that I try to help you with each month on the podcast. So here's an invitation. If you are planning on buying a house or selling a house, look me up. Head over to benanton.com. Maybe sign up for my newsletter under the read tab. That is what I like to do the most is help. The podcast, the newsletter, those are just some of the ways I've found to help. So do you want that help? Look me up. You want a little help in between? Listen to the podcast, sign up for the newsletter. Thank you, and we'll talk soon. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. It's time for our look at the market. Hey, Ben. So the lowest price sale was a home in Deerfield that was listed for $165 but sold for $145. And interestingly, it was a one-party listing. So these people listed the home specifically so that one individual buyer could come in, take a look, and write an offer if they wanted. So it sold for $145. Three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath, built in 1910. Okay, so the high end is in Madison here in Shorewood, sold for $1.9 million, five bedrooms, five full baths, two half baths, almost 5,000 square feet. Didn't have competition on the market for seven days. What about what about for a for our formal market update? I felt like in the uh, top of the hour tip you were teasing or you were like, you were kind of suggesting uh, what the market update might might be. Yeah, so we are, in fact, on the cusp of a big market change. Not dissimilar to what happens every year, though. So we discussed how the highest prices of the year are generally paid, you know, late spring, usually in June, maybe the, the beginning of July. But right now, it is already starting to change. So in the past maybe two weeks, we have seen a slowdown of the market, and that's going to just continue the rest of the summer. So usually when the 4th of July comes, that's a really slow weekend for us. And then it just sort of continues to be slow until probably the second or third week in September after the kids go back to school and everyone gets back to their normal schedules. Yeah, And there are still people selling. There are still people buying. It's a great time to get out there and buy right now. A lot of people are struggling going from their very comfortable 3.5% interest rate on their current loan to think, well, of course I want to move up by and pay 7%. So I think that's keeping a lot of people in their homes, which leads us to our conversation with Lindsay in that new construction is the only way to free up inventory. We have to build more new homes. We'll be back with Lindsay uh, in just a moment. Lindsay Haggins, uh, Simply Homes Realty. Boy, I want to keep you all around. You're listening. 
listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. In the studio with us today, Lindsay Haggins from Simply Home Realty and her partner in crime, Alejandra Torres from the Lauer Realty Group. They both successfully listed and sold and marketed uh, every single lot in the entire Jana Village in just the last year. And congratulations, did a great job on the quiz. It would seem like Jana Village was kind of like a positive vibe naming theme. So Jana Village means paradise in Arabic. So it's kind of a good feel neighborhood, a good vibes, good neighborhood, um, divine, glorious wisdom. They all were meaningful names to us that it felt like a positive, keep going back to the positive vibes. It's, it's a positive uplift. You all, you hear names of people in the streets, street signs, you hear flowers or plants or all random stuff, but ours is more targeted towards the positive feel. That's kind of what we were going with. And it, well, it would seem like it, it maintained a pretty positive vibe as, as people found it, liked it, bought it. Yeah. And now, and now your first one, your first phase is full. Um, as it relates to design, like who gets to decide what? Like the number of so zoning, the city decides like zoning. Like this, this is going to be a neighborhood, not an industrial park. All right, this is like they know about what's going to be there, correct? Yeah. So they come up with some type of a concept plan. They come up with okay, this is what we want in this area. Whether they get it or not, it's a negotiation between the developer and the city. So this is what they came with. Like here, we need this amount of single families or we want this amount of multifamilies in the area. They kind of pick the pieces of the land that they they decide this half will be more for the multifamilies, this side will be more for the single families. But it's all a negotiation. Um, we wanted to do all multifamilies, but they would not allow us to do all multifamilies. That was our goal of the subdivision in the first place. Um, our concept for our our business is all multifamilies. So I did not have the intention of doing single-family homes, but that's what they needed us to balance it out. Has history not taught us a lesson about high-density multifamily housing? I mean, like I, I noticed that that the final design tended to be a little bit more familiar to me in that we are entering the neighborhood. Here is where we find the multifamily housing. And then we step down from higher density to slightly less. And then as we get to the interior of the neighborhood or further from infrastructure or busy roads or highways, we get to the larger lots and larger homes. It seemed typical in that sense. What? Why did you not want to do that? Well, it's for that part is for traffic. So, But at the same time, um, we just wanted the multifamilies to keep long term. That was our goal with developing the the land. Um, the city also wanted us to do smaller lots, so the single family lots were almost on top of each other, like what we're starting to see in Madison. So they're utilizing the land more where it's half the size. We fought a little bit with them to get larger sized lots. They're not large, large, but they're enough to have a backyard. Um, so. When we dis- we negotiated with them, we negotiated with larger lots towards that area where Burke has those half acre lots on that side. So that's kind of how the flow goes: higher density to the back where the Burke is with the higher 
or the larger lots on that side. I, yeah, I guess I should back up. This development, Jana Village, is is just about at the intersection of Highway TT and Felland Road. So if you're going out Highway 30, you pass you pass the uh, the Cloudy's Kids Daycare and the One Strip Mall, and then on the left hand side is is uh, the Silver Eagle, mm-hmm. right? Silver Eagle Bar, and then you go under the interstate. Then there's some there's some soccer fields. Asher's Baseball. never been there. Baseball, yeah. Some sporting that happens out there. Yeah. And then you take a, the first left on the as a major road is Felon. So you right go before north. Reiner. So we're parallel I've to Reiner. I've been to Felon yeah. and Reiner. Yeah. That's not the Silver Eagle though. Mm-hmm. It's an eagle. It's an eagle. The Silver Eagle's on Silver Eagle, eagle yeah. Crest. Eagle yes. Crest. Eagle yeah. Crest. Got wow. it. Sorry, yeah, Silver Eagle. <laughs> Silver Eagle. <laughs> and just for the record, Alejandra is still the only one drinking. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, Just to go back to the beginning, so yes. you purchase this land, and then yes. what you do is you approach the city and you say, I want to develop this into residential lots. Yes, you have to go through zoning and planning. So the two, yep, you have to go through both phases. So you come up with a preliminary design, a concept plan, and you say, this is what I want to do. You propose it to them first. City staff has to get on board with what you want. If they are not on board with what you want, it won't, the project won't go through. Um, so then we kind of negotiate, this is what I'm coming up with. They look at where the concept plans are with their roads, because everything has to flow. It has to be able to map with the next neighborhood that goes into. So they connect on the other side. So if the roads don't match, it won't work. So you have your engineer team put together a plan, and then their engineer team with the city, they collaborate with what you want. And then uh, if, it, if they agree with it, then it starts going through the process. And then it, you, you kind of design a stormwater, you design a park, you have to hit their requirements of what they want in the subdivision as well. And you pay for all of that? Yes. You pay for all the street development, yes. all of that water, sewer, electrical? Yes. So as a developer, you pay for all of the cost even up front. So if your project does not get approved, you still are bearing all the costs in the beginning and you it could potentially lose on it. But that's the risk of being a developer as well. You you take the overhead in the beginning and then you're paying for your engineer fees. You're paying for like uh, if you have to need a wetland delineation to actually make sure that the property is is buildable on it. You have to talk to the DNR to make sure that they're allowing it. Um, make sure there isn't anything you have to preserve in that area. Um, so there are multiple steps before you go through to the city. And then once you go with the city, then it can either approve or pass. And then once it gets approved, then you also have a list of stuff as well that they require. And your engineer team creates everything, but then it gets turned over to the city's engineer team. And the city's engineer team has to recreate your plans so you on, you pay for your engineers to do it, and then you double pay for the city's <laughs> engineers to do it as well. So it's like a double whammy on that side. So from when you purchased the land to when you were able to start selling lots, how long was that? Five years. It's a long time. But it shouldn't have took that long. Oh, COVID? <laughs> no. Um, so in our project, we got stuck in the middle of, do you remember when we got fl- we flood in Madison yeah. during that time? Yeah, it was like 2018, 2019. Um, so right when we hit the flood, they changed the stormwater requirements. Oh. So we got caught in the middle of it, and we had our concept approved, 
And then when we got caught in the middle of it, we had to go back through planning and dedicate even more land to stormwater. So I have three ponds in my subdivision compared to just one originally. Wow. And so the ponds itself are six acres. So if you look at our whole development, we have 42 acres, 42, 43 about. Um, six Six acres was four park and six acres is four stormwater now. So you already lost 12 acres of your land just to fitting the needs of the city. Wow. So and some arguably some of those things are neighborhood amenity. Yeah. Something that people would expect. Um they don't necessarily feel like stormwater retention, you know, that that doesn't necessarily make me feel like I want to live there more or there more. But there is the opportunity to create green space and yeah. and a little bit of that. But I can certainly see like I asked one of my questions was like, do we feel do we feel like the that some of these things are market driven or or are they are they handed to us uh, via um, via legislature or required? So you have to make your money on the remaining twenty eight or twenty eight to thirty. Hmm. Yeah, if you do not have multifamilies in your neighborhoods, if you had to dedicate that amount of land, you would not even break even putting the roads, sewers, waters all in. There's no way. You have because the amount that you can buy for single families compared to how much it is for multifamilies. If you don't have that, there's no way you would break even. It's it's impossible. So the when we had to dedicate more stormwater, we renegotiated the quantity for the multifamilies to be able to go up further. Uh, originally, we were going to go only go two stories, and then they allowed us to go three stories to negotiate adding more land to the stormwater. <laughs> One of the things I think that that Alejandro talking about the marketability of, of the lots early on was this. You and you used the word earlier. I think that's a Viridian neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and a Viridian neighborhood is is not unlike yours in that there's a, a neighborhood with blank streets and all these lots, and you choose, and then Viridian builds you a house. But you are not a builder, correct? So anyone who wanted to buy a lot in this neighborhood with their and bring their own builder was able to do so. Yes. Yep. You could bring your own builder or some builders were buying the lots for spec homes to build themselves and then to resell. Um, so it just depend on who, who was buying it. But yeah, you can bring your own builder to this subdivision. So it's not dedicated to one. Is there a lot of that? Um, not necessarily. Most of the developers actually that are like the larger builders, they buy the neighborhoods themselves and develop the neighborhoods themselves. And, um, and then they, they keep all of their lots in home. Right. So when they do that, such as a Viridian neighborhood, Mm -hmm. they also have a lot of rules like covenants, restrictions, things that they specifically want the neighborhood and the homes to look like. Did you guys add covenants and restrictions to your neighborhood? We did, but they're very generic restrictions, you know, a thousand square foot for a ranch or, you know, 1200 for a two story. So it's very basic. But again, if a builder needed something, we also can amend the restrictions as well because the developers in control of the the covenants and restrictions until it gets turned over to everybody that basically buys in the subdivision so so you're not limiting like the exterior colors fences the amount of pets someone can have because those are in some neighborhood restrictions no but it does have to go through an architectural approval too so we have to make sure so they send it to me their plans and make sure that the colors aren't exactly like the neighbors you can't 
it does have to go through some type of a step that we just verify that. But no, it's pretty laid back, open about what people. So it'll be nice because it's not the same house. It's not, it's everyone's designing their own home. You know, some are yeah. modern, some are contemporary. Like it, it's just different styles of homes now, right now. So. Yeah, it's not like as cookie cutter as like yeah. a Viridian. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The, the deed restrictions question reminds me we had uh, Dr. Paige Glotzer, a history professor and you to be history professor, and she'd written a book called uh, Segregation and the Suburbs. was, a, And you just thought 1950s suburbs, because that's what people do. But this was, in fact, Baltimore in the early 1900s, and the very first suburbs around that town and the way that the deed restrictions were so clearly racist. So what I'm hearing from you is that in, in, in modern society, there are still a, a home and a place for deed restrictions, but for the most part, they are designed to make sure it's not too homogenous, Mm-hmm. especially when you've got different builders being able to put different homes, but to also suggest that there will be some continuity as it relates to the size, likely value, yes. and likely use. Yeah. no way. Last episode, we learned our friend was Shannon. Shannon talked about <laughs> existing non-conforming attic spaces. Attic spaces, yeah. but um, lot sizes can be the same. Uh, Rhonda and I uh, bought a home in Blooming Grove, which does not currently have its own zoning authority. Much like Burke, they lean on the county for any zoning stuff, but Blooming Grove sooner than Burke, will become part of the city of Madison, at which point we have a buildable lot, or a lot that according to Dane County is not buildable, but according to the city of Madison would be a buildable yet non-conforming existing condition. Mm. So those 15-foot setbacks are... So it's like... Because 6,000 square feet is the minimum lot size in Dane County right now. Um, And that's that's pretty big. It's a little, you know... I don't know where do you how how big do you think six thousand square feet is, Lindsay? Not, I don't think it's that big, but there's there's <laughs> Rob, an, you know just bringing that up too with the the different municipalities too with that even our other parcel we have another forty acres down the street too and it is in Burke for that approval we will have to go through Dane County Burke and the city of Madison all for your approvals. Wow, so. Because to, Burke will become... Exactly. Yep. It'll become in Madison. So What year is that supposed to happen? 36. 2036. And they're already planning ahead. They do. Wow. You have to get permission. So there was even another parcel right by us that we were looking at a single family home for it. And that is the same thing. You have to go through the process of all three of them in order to get it. So if one gets on board, you still have to get both the other ones two on board too. So... The process is a lot. It's really my, interesting. My big surprise here is the fact that you had to front like this like the city infrastructure. Because once once Oh MG once too. you sell once you sell that lot and that land, the street will become property of the city. Right. Right? Like it like but but the first time it gets built, you have to do it all. Yes. I'm feel, I'm feeling a little pain for the developer. I hope that all of you are too. In the meantime, since we've developed in Madison, it took five years. I have built in a 28 unit in Cambridge. I've built in Sauk City. I've built, now we're doing a project in Mazo. I've built in McFarland and Sun Prairie in the meantime, all waiting for my project for Madison. 
The amount amount of time, (laughs) yes, the amount of time that it takes from start to finish, most of those municipalities are three months. And you have the city of Madison taking five years. Have you told them this? Oh, they know. (laughs) But, you know, one of their one of their comments back was, well, if you don't like how it works, get into a different business. You know, and that was one of our meetings. And I said, your job isn't to bankrupt developers. And they said, that's not our problem. Well, and it's also like, like Ben has mentioned this multiple times that you are not a regular developer. You are not some old white man, (laughs) right? We need to have more diversity. (laughs) Yeah. Not that I think regular developers are all old white men. Well, what's the percentage? I I don't know. want to ask a little bit about your hospital and apartment projects in Ghana. And I was going to be like, which government is easier to deal with? <laughs> and I was I was going to imagine you were going to say oh. West Africa. Um, on the other note, Ghana is a different breed. <laughs> tell, they're, they're different. Okay, so. Tell us just a little bit about, about what it is that you've done there. And it, it seems to me or like that kind of was like the when I said not the typical vilified developer, I did think a little bit about both your efforts here in town to create affordable housing, but then also a rather benevolent position in trying to do the same, not only with affordable multi-unit housing, but an actual hospital in Ghana. Tell us about that. So our projects here fund our projects in Ghana. Um, Ghana is a place where you cannot do financing. Nothing is financed. Everything is cash-based. So when you're starting a project, um, whether it starts with a first floor or second floor, um, you you do it in phases. You build one level and then you go to the next. The project starts at times where if you don't have the funds, it gets put on a halt for a year or so. Um, Whenever we have large sales here, we do large or we do larger amounts over there. Um, so Ghana is a little bit different. If you buy a piece of land, if you don't build on it right away, um, there's a chance that someone else will come build on it and you have to go through <laughs> the channels of trying to get your land back from somebody that already built on it. it it's, it's So you have to put some type of foundation in right away. Um, just putting even a concrete slab across it, just something to mark your name on it because it's a little bit different from here where you have the title company that protects you and makes sure everything is a clear and title. Um, a lot of stuff is still old school where it's handshakes. It's, yep, here I'm going to the chief and buying this piece of land. Or, you know, um, it's a little bit different from there. So, And just what? for our listeners at home, what is your personal relationship to Ghana? My husband's from Ghana. So he was born and raised there with absolutely nothing and... If you see, he's some of his family still has the house that he was born in. It's a very, it's on the dirt floor. They all sleep still on the dirt floor, and they have a toilet with a hole in the ground, no shower, nothing. So um, it's nice to see the difference. He built his family a home now that has running water. It has a shower. It has, you know, basically everything now they can get. But there are times still, like, the city will turn off the water, and they'll go weeks without a water. So wow. you have to have, like, a reserve tank still or... Um, and then everything is prepaid. So you prepay for electricity as well over there ahead of time. So, um, in a recent visit to Mexico, I saw a lot of those, you know, phased building sites Mm -hmm. where the building was one or two or three stories tall, but the, 
but you could tell they intended to someday go further yep. where the rebar yep. on the roof still protruded, you know, like yep. as if they were going to, even though the first floor was occupied, that, yes. that you could tell someone intends to, in time and probably when funds are available, yep. add that third story, add that fourth mm-hmm. story. Um, and there was a, a huge 12, 14 story condo project in Puerto Vallarta that had, had been lost to the bank, or at least that's what I, we'd call it in, 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 in America, uh, that had been, was being redeveloped and, and, had, mm. and was taken down to its concrete shell and, and was slowly, again, from the bottom up, floor by floor, becoming, again, yeah. the, the condo project that it had originally intended to be. Yeah. But that's that inability to finance and necess- yes. needing to have the cash on hand can really explain some of those it stop does, and yeah. start in some of the construction. So do you have a team in Ghana then? You have representatives? Oh, so my husband, actually, the whole community basically helps with these projects too. If people have anything to contribute, they come forward and bring stuff too. So it's not just us alone doing it. Um, like there is a lot that goes in it. A lot of people will help as much as they can or do some of the labor work for free or, you know, whatnot. But apartments, we fund that for our personal, you know, to help his family have some type of money over there. As for the hospitals and or the hospital and the school, um, that's different. The whole community helps out with those. So it was started from the foundation of him, but um, and a group of other gentlemen that started and then it started branching off to where people were helping and contributing more. Um, but here you have set dates where your permit will expire. There, they don't have that. So you can take 20, 30 years to build one thing, and that's fine. You know? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, let's hope that your hospital project in Ghana does not take 20 no. or 30 years. and that I the, hope not, too. <laughs> if I could build here and finish this project yeah. here, I could or, keep going over there. Come on, so. City of Madison. This yeah. is for a hospital in Ghana. God. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that contribute, too. Even Sun Prairie Schools, they donated um, over, like, 500 desks to us for the school. Oh, that's and we amazing. Shipped, we shipped all those desks over to, to Ghana. So wow. um, my mom used to be the administrator. So, like, they, you know, it's a, it's a close bond still with a lot yeah. of them. So, but... Yeah. Well, that is fantastic, and I thank you very much for joining us, Lindsay and uh, and Alejandra as well for moral support as well as uh, as um, refreshment. Um, <laughs> we're gonna take we're gonna take a quick break uh, with uh, with Phil's phone in and his look beyond the six oh eight, and then I'll wrap it up with Adam back here in the studio. But thank you again, yeah. Lindsay. Uh, that's Lindsay at Simply Homes Realty. You can find them online by Googling such, maybe learn a little bit more about her husband. Uh, not a whole lot on your website about your work in Ghana, but just the same. Yeah. If you're curious, um, look her up and uh, and thank you again for coming. Thank you for having me. Time for Phil's phone in. Phil Plort is my business partner in Deacon Housing, president of Madison's Blimling and Associates, a dairy commodities consulting firm, a division of dairy.com, and host of the brand new podcast, The Dairy Download. Keeping an eye on the faraway and diverse markets is what he does. Seeing how it might affect real estate here in Madison is what he does for fun. Here he is with a look beyond the 608. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. Are consumers overextended? Some data suggests as much. A month or so ago, a report from the New York Fed showed that credit card debt did not go down between the fourth quarter of 2022 and the first quarter of 2023. That hadn't happened since 2001. 
Typically, consumers spend big into the year-end holidays and then pay down debts when the new year begins, not this time around. Subsequent data from the U.S. Federal Reserve showed revolving credit debt outstanding, largely tied to credit cards, up $13 billion from March to April, more than three times the five-year rolling average. The amount outstanding was up 13% year-over-year. Here's what's almost certainly going on. In the face of rampant inflation, consumers have turned to their credit cards to maintain spending. The knee-jerk reaction? Consumers are over their skis and are bound to crash. In my estimation, the numbers are concerning. There are limits to how far consumers can push their credit card balances before we see big-time trouble. Trouble with potential knock-on effects for housing markets. But it pays to take a step back and look at some of the numbers in context. For example, I like to look at the ratio of total consumer debt outstanding to personal income. That was at 21.5% in April 2023. That was up from 21.2% a year ago, but it's still below peak April readings of over 22% seen in 2017. The bottom line, there's still room to run before we get into scary territory. We could get there if the economy stalls further, but we're not there yet. That's all for now. Until the next time, this is Phil with a view from Beyond the 608. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott and Benny and Tom has been with you this whole time here. Ben, I've got one question for you. What was that? That was a, br- a pretty interesting conversation. I'm glad you were able to you're able to listen and then and then come yeah. back with us. Lindsay Higgins, uh, as I said during the interview, I really feel like she's as a regular people, mm-hmm. clearly coming at things, coming in hot a little bit on the on the whole idea behind like I want to I want to do this and I want to do this big. Uh, clearly has established some resources over the years. Um, it sounds maybe through the uh, cell phone stores uh, enough <laughs> enough seed money to get a legitimate development company off the ground and to build a team. Um, a lot of frustration. Uh, I was feeling a lot of frustration with with the city of Madison. That frustration she did not necessarily feel was justified or present in other municipalities. But but overall, some some good work and and a good and a, and a good long term goal of using projects stateside to fund uh, infrastructure and support for her uh, husband's family and the area that he came from in Ghana. Yeah, I got to wonder sometimes if like the return on investments um, with the, you know, the time that it took longer in Madison, um, could that be worth it? You know, maybe that's part of the American dream to come here and be able to still support family and friends from back home. Yeah, that certainly, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about some of my new tenants or some of the folks I've met, uh, recent immigrants from Nicaragua. I would imagine a good amount of their money is leaving is leaving to support family abroad. Um, big, biggest surprise takeaway, though, for me was probably that the developer on their own needs to finance and uh, and pay for in its entirety uh, all of the below ground um, municipal infrastructure that, upon sale of the lots, will then become property of the city. Mm-hmm. Learned a little bit, but I thank you, Adam, for coming back and checking in with us and uh, and for you and bet. for your time. 
in your in your in your magic. And thank you to our listeners. Yeah, we do appreciate you tuning in, and thank you to the musicians and bands you've been hearing today, including Renclaw, El Donk, the Oak Street Ramblers, Bob Westfall, Seesaw, and the Mad City Jug Band. And thank you to you, Ben, and everything that you do for the podcast. We appreciate it. All right, we'll keep we'll keep trying to do it, even though it's even though it's a little bit more frightening now, a little bit scary <laughs> to do to do parts of it all by myself. I was all by It'll myself. become just like second nature soon. All right. Thank you so much, Adam. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast for homeowners, home buyers, landlords, tenants, people who just want to be better at living in a home. If you can't get enough Real Estate in the 608 between episodes, like us on Facebook at In the 608 or visit inthe608.com for archived episodes and show notes. Remember, until you tell us, we don't know. We appreciate your listening, as well as your ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast portal. We also welcome feedback and topic suggestions via email to ben at benanton.com. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. And come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game? You're always playing at your favorite arcade. Could be taking the aims, and we could be record breaking. Come on, baby, won't you buy me flowers with that money spent on whiskey sours that you're buying at those wasted hours? And come on, baby, won't you talk me sweet? Instead, I'm staring at this empty seat because you got someone else you'd rather be. And we could be. So I'm singing you this waiting song